we now have as a family. I have six grandkids, and we had a couple of them around Friday lunch. And uh, every time they come around, I just think about what Jesus said about become like little children. Um, so can you join in with me? So we spent the whole lunchtime telling knock-knock jokes. Mostly the same joke. <laughs> these are young kids. So I learned, I learned a new knock-knock joke from Finley. I don't know, Finley, if you're still in the room, but thank you for this. Finley Merrick, Finley big boy Merrick. So are you ready to join in? I know this is church. But it's even more reason to join in. Knock, knock. IMAP. Haha, you said it. <laughs> we even made them up. They were worse than that, the ones we made up. Did anybody not get that? Okay, ask someone to explain it to you. Got it. IMAP. And add who to the end. So you can do all sorts of things if we add who. Yeah, but we had loads of fun for nearly an hour and we were laughing. I thought, kids just laugh so easily, don't they? They laugh at, they still laugh at my jokes. It just, like my grown up kids are like, oh, dad, that's a dad joke. But you used to laugh at them when you were little. <laughs> yeah, this is my daughter. She said, somebody didn't know any better, which is true. I was the high point of humor once in their life. <laughs> So, yeah, oh, whoa, why don't you pray for somebody or yourself that, oh, just some amazing presence of God in this room, and uh, we all want to enjoy that together, do we not? Oh, it's not like for special people, oh, so just, just lay your hands on yourself or the person next to you or both. <laughs> if you feel like laughing, laugh. Don't hold it in because you're in the church building. If you feel like laughing as you're praying, please laugh. Um, or any other noise is okay. <laughs> and just make up a really good prayer for yourself or them that they would encounter Jesus and all that kind of stuff. Ah, whoa. Hey. <laughs> I am. Uh, in the prayer time we had sort of in, before the meeting, I, I saw angels wheeling in, rolling in these big barrels to the front here. And uh, oh, there were wine barrels. And each angel, they were quite big. They were kind of lar larger than your standard wine barrel. They were more like what you store whiskey in. They were really big. Oh, and they put some up the side of the room. And, and uh, <laughs> each angel had an axe. And I saw as the band started to play this chord that they just, they didn't just sort of tidily open the barrels, they just cracked them with these axes. <laughs> I think that was happening this morning. It was like, phew, pretty intoxicating atmosphere in the room. And <laughs> Duncan Jack said, well, it's the axe of the apostles. I'm like, <laughs> What 
have you been axing God for is, is a big question we need to ask this morning. Ah, oh, I may not get serious, all right? Is that, is that okay? standing here doing this. <laughs> oh, ha, ha. Um, I do want to talk to you about something at the same time. <laughs> so, uh, we've been in this kind of <laughs> receiving from God now for a lot of years and people have been doing silly things in the presence for a lot of years and um, Personally, I'm not planning on changing that, uh, but, but it can get a little bit like, well, what's this all for? And it can get a little bit, well, you know, surely I'm not in the in crowd and if I'm not doing something, I'm not falling over or laughing or shaking. And I mean, you can do all sorts of things with that feeling. You can feel rejected that God didn't do it to you or feel like, I wish they'd stop because it's annoying me or... <laughs> Please don't do another fire tunnel in this church or ah, get that leader off because he keeps giggling and twitching. And, or you can think it's nice for them, but that's not really for me. But that's just kind of the way this church is. So I'll live with it and I'll get on with real Christianity or the one that I understand. <laughs> and, or, or any kind of things like that. And, and sometimes we can even get into faking it and that's, you know, so that you like, that's not good either. That's not really what we're about. Um, how do you keep, and why would we keep going? Why? What's it for? What's it about? What's the point? What's the... Well, I'm asking you. Have a think. What, is it just to make people uncomfortable? Is it just to have a slightly different kind of meeting? Is it just because we learned that this was more fun than a hymn prayer sandwich? <laughs> Which it is. But <laughs> I thought that was funny. It's really, it's really hard when people don't laugh with you. It's just sort of, do you know that kind of pancake thing when you say something, it just goes. Uh, and and, and I, have, I have, personally, I have some reasons. And they go, there's probably three of them, and they kind of merge a little bit. One is, there's something about knowing God more and better and deeper and higher and wider. And he, what we found by purpose or accident is he's incredibly intoxicating. He is an experience, not just a theory. He's a, he's a lover. His presence is him. His love is him. His joy is him. And he, he's just, we're experientially getting to know him in, in wild and wonderful ways because he's wilder and more wonderful than we ever thought he was. He's out of any box we could design or think or create. He just doesn't live in any kind of box. And he is the one from whom flows this river of delights. 
is what the Psalms say. He's, 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 uh, he is in himself, he is an intoxicating and intoxicated person. Um, perhaps we used to think that God was sort of slightly calculated or, or, or maybe he was sort of um, very thought through but, but slightly removed and not very feeling about what he was doing. And so he saved us because he had to save us because he's this kind of do-gooder God and he sent Jesus because something needed fixed. And, and, and we jolly well should get fixed because look at all he did for us. That's really not the emotion that was behind our Heavenly Father. He, he delights in every single one of us. He, he has joy and enthusiasm and love and passion for us. And so him and Jesus were like, yeah, we've got to fix this. <laughs> so that's one reason for just keep going. Keep going till the love of God has wrecked you so much that you really know how deep and high and wide and long it is. Because that's it's interesting when Paul, the apostle, prays for his churches, he doesn't pray for revival in the classic sense that we think of it. He actually prays that they'd have a revelation of Jesus inside them and the length and depth of who he is, what he is, his power, his love, and all the rest of it in him, in them. That's, he's praying for revived insides. <laughs> so I'm praying for us to have our insides revived. I don't know how your insides are feeling this morning, but if they're warmer in here than they are out here, that's a good sign. <laughs> Another reason to keep pressing in is actually that for personal wholeness, that we become more full of him so that we are more, more like him. Uh, so we start to express who he's already made us, what he's already in us, that, that, that is part of our journey into more of him. But, but, but the third reason that I want to kind of land on and look at something today is actually that we can give freedom, healing, wholeness to other people. We live in a really sad world. We live amongst a lot of really busted up people. And we are, I mean, thank God for, and I'll talk about this, thank God for all the people that are trying to fix it. Thank God for the psychologists and the, 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 the therapists and the counselors and the, and the social workers and the, everything else and those that realize how broken up people are and are trying to fix it. Thank God for every one of them. They're all serving God whether they know it or not. <clears throat> so let's just turn to, to Luke 4 very briefly and then we're going to go. To Luke 8. Luke 4 first, 18. Luke 4, 18. Ah, let's, let's do that one. That's, that's got some oomph on that one. Ah, here we go. The Spirit of the Lord. This is Jesus. He's just been baptized. It comes up out of the water. Uh, uh, the Spirit as it falls on him like a dove. And then he goes and he preaches in a synagogue. And he stands up and he reads this out of Isaiah 61. And he says, but he says it of him. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me 
because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the, the Lord's favor. Oh, the year of the Lord's favor. He knew what he'd come to do, set people free from oppression and bondage. To bring sight where there was blindness. And that's not just spiritual sight, that's physical healing the blind, which he did. And let's look at Luke 8, this is where I want us to... Oh, yeah, Jesus. Luke 8, 22. <laughs> this is a fun story. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. Anybody fancy a boat trip? So they got into the boat and set out and they sailed off and he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake and the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. This is a Jesus boat trip. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Let's, let's keep going. Just imagine you're a disciple, so day in the life of. <laughs> Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When, so, Okay, so just pause here for a second. So you've just been through a near-death experience with Jesus in a boat. These, many of these know about water. They're fishermen. It's been such a difficult storm that they're in fear of their life. Jesus is sleeping in the boat while the water is coming. I don't know quite how he did that. And then he stands up and he rebukes. So, so if it was me, I'd at least want to get off the boat, find a costa and have a coffee for an hour while I just kind of calmed my nerves. Yeah? Okay, you're all like, no, no, I'd be perfectly fine. Okay, that's, that's good, great, glad for you. So, but what happens with Jesus, there is no Costa Coffee at the Gerasenes. What there is, is a, a, a different kind of welcoming committee than perhaps what they were anticipating or hoping for. So Jesus stepped ashore and he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. And, and not just your average demon-possessed man. For a long time, this man had not worn any clothes. So he's coming to Jesus and the disciples, stark, but naked. It's going to make your day. It's just kind of coming at them. And for a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he lived in the tombs. Keep going. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? <laughs> for God, I beg you, don't torture me. And Jesus, for Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Let's keep going. Jesus asked him, what's your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone, out, in, gone into him. 
and they begged him repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and he was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told, uh, and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Wow. Wow. We've drunk enough when we can do that. That, that's kind of the summary of this message. <laughs> but I want to unpack a little bit what doing that might look like because isn't that awesome? <laughs> I, I really believe that our Heavenly Father is bringing us into such deep encounters with His love that every deep wound is healed, whether from abuse, trauma, neglect, or loss. That that happens to us, but also that we carry that to others. That Heavenly Father uses us to bring people into such deep encounters with himself and his love. That every, every dark place, every deep wound is healed. See, this guy, this guy is one heck of a guy. He's got, when that anger thing happens in him, he's got superhuman strength. He can break chains. So here's the disciples staggering off a boat after a storm, and here's a naked man crying out to Jesus, probably smelly, hasn't lived in a house for years, not had human company, maybe has still got the odd broken chain hanging around his neck. I would be weighing up whether I wanted to stay back in the boat. It was this kind of thing. But Jesus, Jesus confronts him, or he comes to Jesus, and Jesus handles him in an amazing way. Now, I don't know about you, but I have, uh, over the years, ministry met and dealt with some people who have been either highly traumatized or broken or highly demonized or both. Uh, and my experience with those kind of situations is that the people take a long time to get well. It's not impossible because nothing's impossible, but... It doesn't happen in a day. This is probably a few hours has passed here. It's certainly within one set of daylight hours on the shore of the, of the Sea of Galilee. A man goes from being possessed by multitudes of demons to being free and in his right mind. I, I've met people like that. I, I remember years ago praying. We had some success praying for, for a dear woman who came to us from the... Uh, the institution uh, for people who had mental disorders down the road. And we, we prayed with her. She was clearly demonized and visited by demons. And she used to make some horrendous noises. And, and, and she, her personality was so aligned with this demonic presence that when you commanded the demons to leave, she got up and walked out the room or tried to. But actually, with prayer, they discharged her. With prayer, she actually got a job and held down the job. 
but it wasn't in a day. This was, we had another lady, dear, dear friend, this was like our introduction to ministry when we were first planting a church and, and, and she'd been raised and dedicated by her grandmother to carry on as a medium in the, in the shadow or in, as a, as a carry-on from her grandmother. And so regularly she would experience demonic presences coming into her bedroom at night and talking with her and interacting with her. But she became a Christian. But still she struggled with some of these things and she would come to us because the presence of God was so great in the meetings. She came into a place of peace in, in the presence of God. But then, she, then we, we said, you need to get baptized. You need to get baptized. So she's like, okay, I'll get baptized. The, the, the morning that she was going to get baptized, she was actually feeling so physically ill, she couldn't move. And she phoned up Teresa and said to Teresa, the demons have come back to me and they're telling me that if I, if I get into that baptismal tank, I'm going to die. And Teresa says, that's right. Come and get it done. And this lady took some, took some time and took some healing. Um, but she was getting freer and freer. But she took huge courage with these people. I'm aware of someone else who who was the victim of prolonged uh, satanic ritual abuse from their grandmother, similar thing, kind of dedicated to Satan's service. And it took them eight years to get free of what happened to them because in that process, they don't just become demonized, they're also deeply traumatized because they're actually physically abused from childhood onward. And, and met and dealt with people who've had deep traumas in their lives, and they have to have great courage to keep walking through to get to a place of health and wholeness where their past doesn't control their present. It doesn't just explode inside of them and suddenly become uh, the way they're living. This is, uh, this is an incredible miracle. This, this is on the level, if you read Acts chapter 3, where uh, the, there's the cripple at the gate and they walk into prayer and they heal him. It says he was born lame. So here's, here's a man who's never walked. So the miracle isn't just that he got healed, but he learned to walk in an instant. There was a restoration of his muscles, his bones, and he also had installed from heaven the ability to walk immediately in his head. If you've watched kids learn to walk, it takes a little while to move from that crawl, that shuffle, the bum shuffle, to standing up, falling over, standing up, falling over, toddling, toddling. This guy was up on his feet, standing and leaping and praising God. So the miracle is this, this concertering together of this, not just this restoration of tissue and muscle and nerve, but actually the ability to walk suddenly got installed in his head. He had balance to dance. I mean, some of us struggle with that, and we've been alive a long time walking. Do, do you know what I mean? It's just this boom, suddenly he's walking and leaping and praising God, and he's never, ever walked. That's that's a multi-dimensional, incredible miracle. And what's happening here with this guy is the same. It's, a, it's at a depth that, that we could miss because often when we've taught it, we've just looked at Jesus got rid of all these demons, which is good, and, but actually that's the easy part. Often people are that demonized because there's already been trauma. And that's part of the reason in this satanic ritual abuse that they traumatize people because it makes pathways in for demonization. And people who are 
in pain, in trauma, in difficulty, are looking to somehow survive. And so they get into stuff to try and help them dull the pain, deal with the, what they're dealing with. And I mean, anger is one such thing. You, some of the most angry people are the people who have felt the most subjugated, abused, and people have been overbearing with them. Because for a moment, this anger makes you feel powerful. When you're feeling un, unpowerful and victimized the rest of your life, you, you tap into something. And this guy had actually learned to tap into it to the point that it uh, overcome him. And he was no longer in control of it. But it was so powerful that, 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 that he could break open wherever they locked him up and he could break the chains that they put on, on, on him. So this guy didn't just get like this by having a quick play on a Ouija board. Not that I would recommend that. I suspect, we don't know his history, but I suspect that there is trauma. I suspect there is pain. I suspect there's a history of great difficulty in his life and that bit by bit he becomes more and more out of control and more and more controlled by what's in his life. Do you understand? This is not a simple, oh, get rid of the demons, everything's okay. There's some deep reasons why they're there in the first place. And I'm not saying that everyone who is traumatized becomes demonized, all right? But I really am going for this place. Whereas Christians, I think we've often not dared go. Or we've not felt we've had the skills or the faith. Or, and we've dealt superficially. But actually Jesus doesn't want to do and isn't doing any kind of superficial work. The great, this is a great miracle. And the absolutely incredible verse is not when the demons leave and jump into pigs, although that's amazing. But it's actually the line that here's this man who's been breaking chains, who's been ostracized, who's lived amongst the tomb, who's felt it's all right to walk around naked, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. That's the miracle. But after how many years and how many months and how much difficulty and how much oppression and depression he's been through, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And he wants to be a disciple of Jesus. He wants to follow him. He's there. And that, that word right mind, if you look that up, it, it, it's, you could translate it safety-minded. It's made of two words, safe, and that which regulates life. It's an outlook that reflects true balance. It's sometimes translated self-control. Here's a guy who was out of control, who was being controlled, suddenly restored to self-control. His mind is his own, and it isn't subject to the, the effects of his trauma. Isn't that awesome? And I have to say that my experience of Christianity is we've not been very good at that. We've not been very good at realizing it even needed to be done. And so I really thank God for the people who do. And not a lot, some of them are Christians and some of them are not. But there are people in our world, the psychologists and the psychiatrists and the therapists and the counselors, who know how deeply people need to be fixed. And they've set about finding ways of fixing them. Thank God for that. They're doing the work of Jesus. 
They're not settling for a superficial answer. They're not glossing over the issue. They're not sticking a smile on. They're trying to find something deeply inside the person and see it restored and see it healed. And somehow, this is the ministry we're called to, to do what Jesus did. So this is no way to knock those that have gone before, but actually there is an anointing. We read, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to bring freedom to the captives. And I think we've sometimes heard that at too superficial level. Jesus had an anointing to bring freedom to the deepest level of your heart and mine, to the deepest level of our minds, to the deepest level of brokenness. There is a place where you'll still find Jesus at work, even if you forgot that was the thing that was affecting you. I love this story. This man was out of control and now he's got self-control. He was breaking chains and now he's free from his chains. He was naked and now he's clothed. He was troubled. Now he's at peace. He was living amongst the dead and now he's sent to bring life. (laughs) He was bad news to everybody who knew him and now he's commissioned to go and take the good news of the goodness of God. Our mission statement says that we're here to transform people, families, lives, nations, churches, cities with the experience of the goodness of God. That's what happened to this guy. And we've seen some of it. We've seen churches change. We've seen individuals change. We've seen families affected. Oh, look, there's so much more. And we live in a world where I think the pain is increasing. Our anointing to deal with it needs to increase and above and beyond. When people walk in to this community, they start to get well from the second they walk in the door. The second they get a hug from you or they shake your hand. Because the Spirit of the Lord is on us. And he's anointed us to bring freedom to captives. To give sight to the blind. Jesus has set us to do what he did the way he did it. So let's not settle for a superficial solution. Or just enough of Jesus in my life to get me through my life. I want enough of Jesus in my life so that I can get through my life and help hundreds of other people do the same. And not in a superficial way, not in a Christian plastic answer way. In a way that they're wrecked by God in the most beautiful way from the inside out. They can't hold it in. <laughs> it's really fascinating. If you read the, the, those Luke verses that we quoted out of Isaiah 61, if you go on, where Jesus has quoted this, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, he's anointed me to preach the good news, to bring freedom to captive sight to the blind, release the oppressed, announce the favorable day of the, the Lord. It goes on to say that, that, that to those who mourn will be granted a, a crown of beauty 
and those that in sorrow will break out in rejoicing, and those that, that experience mourning will break out in joy. He's trading. This anointing trades the sorrow, trades the brokenness, trades the gloom for joy and celebration. It's not just a halfway house of, oh, I'm feeling better now. It moves you from sorrow to gladness. And maybe one of the reasons that, 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 or one of the things, journeys we need to go on is in order to help others get from brokenness to fixed, from sorrow to joy, is that we can't park our bus halfway along the journey and say, well, I'm feeling middle-of-the-road Christian now, and I'm, you know, I'm happier than I was, and I'm more peaceful than I was. But actually, Jesus is about taking us into a place of utter freedom, an enjoyment of his presence. Like was happening to many of us this morning. There's a freedom. There's a joy. There is an overflow. There's just like, he, he broke my chains. I'm very happy to be free of my chains. And maybe if you're not happy about free of your chains, maybe there's more freedom to happen. Do, 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 I'm not trying to get at anybody. I'm just saying, let, and it doesn't have to look like it looks for me, but actually joy Try telling joy to someone without, that isn't in church without using the word happiness or laughter. We've, you know, in this thing of talking about separation, we've separated joy from emotion. We've made it an idea or a concept or an attitude or something deep, but actually it isn't. Joy is first and foremost, is a person, but it's an experience. Deeply connected to the word happiness. There's no such thing as serious joy. I think it's C.S. Lewis says, the serious business of heaven is joy. So there's something in it, it sounds uh, like it shouldn't make sense. It sounds like, no, surely you're talking about healing some really traumatized people and now you're talking about joy. What I'm saying is that may not make sense, but I think it's Bible sense. I think it's heaven sense. <laughs> oh dear. Jesus help me. So he's there, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. This, he encountered something. I'm just trying to try and unpack what that phrase means to me anyway. What, what, what's happened to this guy? Okay, the demons flee. That, that, that's massive and legion means possibly a thousand. I've met people that have had multi-layered demonic activity in the hundreds and thousands in their life. It is possible. This guy's free from it all. But something happens that goes deeper that deals with the reason they even got there in the first place. And in this short time, maybe a few hours, Jesus reaches into the deepest parts of this man, the most challenging issues that he faces, maybe things he's even forgotten, the deepest pains and the traumas, the things that's really running his brain and his heart. And he doesn't give him a simplistic Christian solution. He does something to him that's never happened to him before. I think the first thing was 
I don't think as the guy approached him, as smelly, as outrageous as he may have looked, as scary as he probably looked, as scary as he probably sounded, I don't know, I've heard demonic voices, they're designed to make you feel afraid. And what was speaking to Jesus was not the man, but the demons in the man. But I think as he walked up to Jesus, as funny as he looked, as threatening as he looked, as smelly as he was, as as noisy, I think as he walked up to Jesus, what he got back was not a flicker of fear. Nothing. Why, why, do, why do Christians shout so much when they try and bring deliverance? Often it's because they're actually not convinced they have power and authority. I mean, these demons are actually begging Jesus. They're trying to negotiate. like They know they're going. So they're trying to negotiate the best exit possible. And then he gives them permission to leave. They're like, right, you can go now. Yeah, okay, well, I'll do you a deal. I won't send you in the abyss. You can go in the pigs. Oh, right, thanks. You can go now. And they're off. Not a a flicker of fear. I don't think this guy had encountered someone who wasn't afraid of him for a very long time. That takes some juice in your tank to have that thing coming at you. I suspect the disciples were all lined up behind Jesus. It's definitely for you, this one, Jesus. Just want to honor you and your anointing. I think Jesus had some idea what he was facing and he's completely unfazed. And when someone is in that condition and they're coming at you, that's the first test. If you're freaked out, they know you don't have the answer. So I need enough juice in me to think when that thing's coming at me, I'm like, secure, of course I'm secure. He looks like hell, but I am going to deliver him from hell. (laughs) He knew he'd come to shine light in the darkest places, and here was one coming at him. I, I think that Jesus knew, I think Jesus was aware that you don't get like this without a lot of mess in your life, whether he had word of knowledge, level understanding of what was going on, we don't know. The story doesn't tell us. But there's something going on here where Jesus deals with whatever the torment, anger is going on inside this guy beyond the demonization. To get him to the place that he's in his right mind means something very profound has happened once the demons have disappeared. I think maybe he looked in the eyes of Jesus. I don't know. He said he fell down in front of him. What do you need when you're that messed up? You don't need to be scolded again. You don't need another chain. You don't need another brutal arrest. You don't need another scared person. You don't need... You see, when you're afraid, you can't give people what they need. Jesus is so 
marinated in the love of God, I, I think that guy looked in his eyes and he saw a world of acceptance. He felt it. He felt he was loved. No matter how scary he was, how broken he felt, he felt he was loved. He felt embraced. He felt maybe Jesus did embrace him. Didn't Jesus touch lepers? We don't know all the details, but he felt something he had not felt from anybody ever before. He felt something reaching right down inside of him, places he'd maybe forgot even existed. And he didn't feel accusation. He didn't feel scolding. He didn't feel, what the heck you been doing with your life? How did you get in this mess? He didn't feel any of that. He felt love. He felt acceptance. He felt an embrace. He felt, I think he felt celebrated. Remember in Luke, later in Luke, Luke is full of these stories. The lost sheep, he leaves the night, we sing it, we love it, don't we? He leaves the one, he leaves the 99 to get, rescue the one. What does he do? He finds the one, the shepherd finds the one trapped in a bush and he picks him up, he puts him on his shoulder and he carries him home. I think this man felt Jesus finding him in his bush which was very spiky and sore and lifting him up and carrying him home to Papa. Same chapter, prodigal son coming home, another smelly guy. Been living with pigs. It's kind of theme of pigs, but we won't go there. And what does the father do? He just embraces him. He throws his clothes around him. So he gets clothed. He gets restored. He gets treated as a son. Though he doesn't deserve to be that. I think that's what's happening with this man. He's having a prodigal son experience with Jesus. He's getting clothed. He's getting received. He's getting celebrated. Remember, heaven celebrates and rejoices over one sinner that repents. So Jesus is like, get the party started, guys, because this guy is coming home and I'm bringing him. And somehow internally, he's having an experience with God that heals his issues to the point that the inspired scripture can declare over his life that he is in his right mind. Wow. That's what Jesus can do to the insides of us. I was thinking about Huey Lewis and the news when I was preparing this. <laughs> it's a deep point. 1985, a classic song, That's the Power of Love. And sometimes we've kind of separated the two. Like, this isn't the power of sympathy. This is a power of love. This guy is getting loved powerfully. Sometimes we have, we're having a power time, we're having a loving time. No, this is the power of love. <laughs> he didn't glue a solution in on the outside. He didn't expect an external performance. <laughs> See, Heavenly Father's bringing us 
into such deep and wonderful encounters with his presence and love that every deep wound is healed, whether from abuse, trauma, neglect, or loss, and that we are those that can take that release and healing and deliverance and freedom to everybody around us. It's just kind of going to ooze out of us. Like, how are you so free? How are you so well? How are you, how are you so happy? How are you so fixed? How are you? It's because I met Jesus at the deepest, most profound place. And as I've been teaching in weeks gone past, he's already in the dark place. He is the light of the world, the light that shines in the darkness. And, and, and for any of us, he's at, he's at work. And, and, and thank God for those that help us. Thank God for counsel. Thank God for counselors. Thank God for therapists. Thank God. Thank God they're helping us connect and get well. I long for the day, like I long for the day for instant cancer healings and all the rest of it. Thank God for the doctors. Thank God that we're getting well that way. But I long for the day where more of this happens, where it's just the love and the power of Jesus starts to reach into the very insides of us and somehow we are in our right mind again. And for Jesus in the right mind is we're actually buoyant I believe there's great sadness in our world. It's great sadness everywhere, and it, it kind of leaks in on the church. So it kind of becomes uncool to be happy because you're not taking the problem seriously enough. <laughs> but actually, I believe not only with, is the church called to be the hope of the world, the source of hope where hope is draining away, we're actually called to be the source of great healing, a bulwark against the creeping sadness. And the sadness is the product of broken lives and broken families and broken children and broken marriages and no marriages at all and gen gender confusion and on and on and on and on. We're the light of the world now. We can shine in people's darkest places and bring light. So I'd like you to pray with me if you would do that as, as we stand. That, <clears throat> that, that we, we personally would just keep encountering so much of God that increasingly we would be in our right mind in a biblical sense. But also that we would be encountering, if you like, the hunger would come back in us that we would encounter more of him so that we can give more of him to more of them. So, does that make sense? So it's, it's selfish, but it's not just selfish. I want more for me, but I, I really want more because when other people touch my life, I want them to get more of him in the kind of way that we see in the Bible in this story. Are you up for that? Well, okay, well, if you're up for it, let's stand and let's pray. <laughs> Huh. 
it helps me, it may not help you, but if you put your hand on your heart or hold your hands out, or just as we, we pray, let's ask Jesus. Heavenly Father, I, I want to encounter you deeper. I want to stop being worried about what it looks like to other people. I want to stop being worried about whether I feel good about it or not because what I want is to be able to walk like you walked and set people free like you set them free. So I ask you, Jesus, to encounter me in a deeper place in a more profound way, in a stronger way, a deeper way. I give you permission. And if anybody's here this morning and just what I'm talking about has really stirred some stuff up inside you, I just pray for you right now that you'd experience the incredible love of Jesus right in the core of your being. His acceptance, his celebration of you, his eyes looking to your core, his light, and any dark spot setting you free. If that's you and you need that, grab it and say amen. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. So Jesus, we pray this for ourselves. We pray this for those around us. We want to be more full of you, whatever it takes. Can Can you say amen? Whatever it takes, whatever it's going to look like, we want to be more full of you. We, we give you permission. Put it on your own lips. Make, it, make a, a sound. Respond to him. Respond to him where you're standing. That, that he would know that he can keep filling you from the inside out and meeting you in all the ways that you need to be met. <laughs> Thank you. Just as such a, a wave of his love and joy coming to us and bubbling up inside us that we give him permission to do it more and more and, and, and increase what he's doing in our lives and to us as a community. Because Jesus, we, we want to set the captives free. We want to set the captives free and give sight to the blind. Is that true? We want to do that. We want to be that kind of answer. Oh. oh, thank you. Huh. Wow. Yeah. yeah, come Holy Spirit. Just take a moment to listen to him, to feel his touch. Let his love bubble up inside you. Let his hug get his arms around you. Let his joy just take a moment for him to engage with you and you engage with him.